our theme for this month has been hard questions about the Bible. And so we have tackled so far some difficult things, what the Bible says about hell, what the Bible says about homosexuality. And today we continue on with what the Bible says about politics. But before I begin, I just want to say we have been really proud and just overjoyed to hear how small group discussions have been going. People have been coming to small groups with great humility and, and grace and um, just really discussing these topics that can be very difficult and very sensitive. And, and from what we've been hearing as small groups have been kind of filling us in, I'm just really proud of our church. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you to those who are, who are searching the scriptures and wanting to talk about this and doing so in a way that is respectful and loving, but also direct. Uh, that is how we grow and mature as Christians. And so this, uh, this series may be challenging. It is challenging, but it's been really, really good. And so uh, just give yourselves a hand for the maturity that you've been exhibiting. And so we're gonna continue that maturity today as we talk about what the Bible has to say about politics. And politics is such a hot and emotional topic because every person comes to the table with their own experiences, their own stories, their own family culture, and those things really shape the issues we feel are important, the issues we think that our government should care about and our society should care about. And so when we are maybe battling ideas and thoughts, it, it feels very personal because it feels like a personal attack on the things that, that, that may be deeply affecting you. One of the challenges we have as Christians is that we are saying, when we give our life to Christ, we are saying, Christ, you are now my king. You are my Lord. And that means I have to view every decision I make, the way I live my life, the way I structure uh, my business, the way I approach friendships, how I treat my marriage, how I raise my children. I have to approach every part of my life through the lens of scripture. That's what you're saying when you become a believer. You're, you're going to the cross and you're laying down in a sense you're part of your autonomy. And boy, that's, that's tough because humankind, and especially American humankind, we love our autonomy. I gotta make my own decisions and do what's right and do what's best and nobody you know, can control me. When you are a Christian, you are saying, you know what, I do have my experiences and my story and my, everything that makes me up is who I am. But now I lay that at the foot of Jesus and I say, you are my king because I'm coming into your kingdom. And so I have to live and act and speak and walk in a way that honors you and that represents your kingdom. And so that's the challenge that we have, even when approaching politics, and I just want to acknowledge that that can be very difficult, difficult to, to view everything through the lens of scripture and not let uh, our, what we think about a topic be the most important thing. So let's start with this, this, this scripture here. We're going to be all over today in the Bible. So you're going to have whiplash uh, because we're trying to give an overview of figuring out what does the Bible say about politics. But I'm going to start here at John 17. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in, your, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so God's word, God's truth is our lamp post. Okay, and our prayer this morning is that if you walk away with only one thing, with only one truth, let it be this one, that God's truth is how we have to live our life by. That is, that is our guide as Christians, is, is his word. Okay, so let me just like give you a cheat sheet. I'm gonna give you kind of the answer before we begin. What does the Bible say about politics? The very, very, very short answer is that it doesn't say anything about the American two-party political system we have here. <laughs> so, surprise. If you are looking in your concordance for the word Democrat or the word Republican to figure out which one's going to hell, you're not gonna find it. <laughs> okay, so let's just, we gotta get that out there because we don't have the exact, this structure in scripture, okay? The second thing we need to acknowledge before we begin is that there will never be a perfect political system or way compared to God's design, which was to walk in perfect relationship with him in the garden. That was his design for us. It, it, when you start in, Gen, in Genesis, in the very beginning, he created us in the garden, perfect communion, walking with him. And then if you know uh, what happens next is mankind chooses full autonomy. We, he gave us the choice and we're like, no, we wanna know what the knowledge of good and evil is. We wanna know what our choices are. We want the option. And so we chose to sin and say, we want, we want that power. And so mankind, Christian term is we say fell. And so then sin entered. And so our perfect communion walking with God, with God was broken. So then what we entered into is that God was still king. The relationship between had been broken, but he was still the ruler. And so people were to obey God's law and there were priests and judges that would help try to help guide the people to obey God, even though they would disobey. But then the time came in Israel's history. Eventually they were like, we want a human king. We think we're over having you as our ruler. Let's have a human king. We wanna look like everyone else. And we're kind of embarrassed that, that we say we follow God. We, we want a human to follow. And God's like, don't do it, don't do it. Please don't do it. They did it. So we, uh, the nation of Israel selected that they wanted a king. And so then we further go away from what God had designed. So let's just lay that out there as a foundation. That means it leaves us with some pretty big questions of how Christians should view politics. Because, because we've gone so far away from God's design and there are many types of government set up in different nations. <clears throat> all over the world, and so how should Christians view this? And it seems to me, at least in the American church, that we have two extremes. We have the group of people that are very serious about politics. They know what they believe, uh, according to scripture or their opinions, but they're very passionate about it, and, uh, and it's very important, and it's a very big driving passion. So you have that group in the church, and then you have this other group over here that's kind of like, meh. <laughs> Like, okay, you know, government exists. I don't really know that it's not really a passion. I don't really look into it. I don't really study it much. And so today we are going to answer two questions with using scripture. And we were, Dave and I were praying and talking about like, what in the world are we gonna cover today? Like this topic is so huge. 
we could we could talk about the the, the church's history with politics and, and what has happened over the years. We could go time. We could spend time going through every single issue we see on every platform and and pull scripture and see how they line up. But we felt that we should start even more backed up than that, a, a, a big zoomed out view and answer this question first. Is it biblical for Christians to try to influence politics? Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, duh, yeah, or duh, no. I, we have to start here because if we don't know if it's biblical for us to even try to influence government and laws in a godly way, then it's not really even worth having a conversation because if the answer is no, if we don't see precedent for it, well then, yeah, let's not worry about it. Let's focus solely on the church and, 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 and helping the community and, and evangelism. But if we do see precedent in scripture of Christians and godly people making a difference in laws and policies, then we don't have the option not to care about it. The second question we're gonna answer is how does scripture direct me to interact with others? The last two years have been very sobering to watch how the church, not just this church, but the, the global church, has communicated with each other about a lot of tense issues. How we've communicated about COVID, mask mandates, the racial tension, politics. No matter how educated we are and how old we are, how much older we get, we still seem to really struggle to communicate as Christians in an honest way and in a direct way, but in a gracious way. It's still a challenge for us if we're honest. So we're gonna look at um, how scripture directs us in that. So let's get going here. Is it biblical for Christians to try to influence politics? And there's several views of this, several versions of this. And Dr. Wayne Grudem like explores a lot of ideas of pe people's opinions on, on, on government and Christians. But I'm just, gonna, I'm just pulling out two ideas that we have heard you know, over the last few years, which is the thought can be, it's a Christian's job to evangelize and not worry about politics. So you might find yourself in that boat. Like, yeah, why are we worrying about laws? Like, let's just you know, work on getting people saved. Or there's the idea floating around that all government is evil, demonic, or doomed, so we shouldn't bother. You know, like the scripture says, it's gonna get worse before the Lord returns. So there's really no stopping it. So let's just do the work of the church and not, you know, worry about what's happening. So we're gonna take, a, I'm gonna try to take us quickly through a scope of the Old Testament and the New Testament and pull some examples because I believe that we do see many examples of a Christian, of righteous people, people living in the way of God, influencing rulers around them and influencing policies around them. So I'm just gonna kind of talk through some examples and we're gonna go quick. So every Old Testament prophet was speaking not only to the culture, but to the rulers and kings of that day to influence them in ways of righteousness and to say, we must stop doing this. We must get back to the way of God. And so we see that example in every Old Testament prophet. Then we have the book of Esther. Think of that book. That whole book shows great effort made by Mordecai, Esther, and the Jewish people. And they were all working together and praying and fasting and working behind the scenes to persuade the king against genocide which would be a great sin. And we see that they did. They were able to influence the king that a whole people group were not slaughtered and murdered. When Daniel was taken 
as a hostage to Babylon. He was taken from his hometown and he was a slave and he worked for the king and he started interpreting his dreams because he has a gift of prophecy. King Nebuchadnezzar came to Daniel and he's like, tell me what to do. And we're gonna actually read what Daniel says. But he didn't say, well, you know, I come from a Jewish moral perspective and I shouldn't presume to put my, my Jewish way of thinking on you. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. This is what he says. King, Nebu, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So he spoke up. He spoke up from his belief system and advised the king in the way that he knew to be righteous and right. Now let's skip to the New Testament. I'm gonna give you two examples of the New Testament. And then we'll move on to question number two. In the New Testament, we have John the Baptist. And we're gonna kind of just jump in into the middle of one of uh, his sermons he's doing, one of the talks he's doing, that people are coming out to hear the word and get baptized. So, so we're jumping in here in the middle of one of his talks. But let's see who he's advising. Now, even now, the ax of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. That's a way to make people want to get saved. <laughs> That's like, woo. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. And so we see John is not, of course he's ministering to the crowd, but when people in authority, when people in government came and said, well, what should we do? He didn't say, well, that's not my area. I'll just work on, on the culture. He's like, no, no, don't falsely accuse people. Don't, don't take more than you need. Don't. So he's advising from his Christian perspective. And then even people who weren't asking for his opinion. Going to verse 19, John also publicly criticized Herod, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. And we know that John the Baptist was soon beheaded because of this. So we see John having these conversations conversations, trying to influence government officials. And then my last example, and then I'm going to hand it over to David, is Paul. We see Paul in Acts having a conversation with the governor. Let's look what they were talking about. As he, as Paul reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. That was the governor. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. And the word used here describes an ongoing conversation. Paul spoke with the governor for two years off and on because he was in prison. And the governor kept calling him and be like, okay, let's talk about this again. What do you mean there's a way of righteousness? What do you mean self-control? And it's interesting to think, Paul, if Paul had not been, maybe, I'm, I'm speculating here, but you wonder if Paul ever thought like, oh, I shouldn't be pushing this on the ruler because if, if they let me out of prison, then I can go back to my ministry of helping churches. So let me just not try to persuade this governor because it's not really, you know, he's not the religious leader. Let me just not say much so I can get back to my ministry. Paul didn't do that. He took the opportunity and he was in prison for two years and over those two years had ongoing dialogue, debate back and forth with the ruler of that time on what is righteousness, what is right. And so there are more examples than this, 
But for the sake of time, that's all I'm going to list. We see the example in Scripture, I believe, that we should make an attempt to make a difference in culture and in government when we can. That, that we don't necessarily have the biblical stance just to be like, eh, I shouldn't care about trying to make uh, good laws from a righteous perspective that will help people. We see examples in new and old that we should, that, that it is our, we, we see Christians doing that. And there's been so many amazing things that have happened in history because Christians did stand up and change the laws or the fight for rights of people. There, there's so many to list. We were trying to cram so much in today that I can't even go into any of those. But if we have established, question number one, that we should care, that Christians should care about influencing laws and policies in government when we can, then it leads us to our second question. How does scripture direct me to interact with others? So those of you who know me well know that when it comes to politics, I identify as an anarchist. So this is gonna be interesting. That's a lie. Everything else will be true, but that's the lie. So how does scripture direct me to interact with others? Another way to say that is, how do I talk about talking about politics, right? That's, that's really the heart of what I wanna talk about. So if you wanted me to say something else, you're gonna be disappointed. So congratulations. Let's get into it. So Ephesians, where Paul is uh, giving advice, or not advice, he's giving uh, the way to do church to the church in Ephesus, and, and Timothy is the, the pastor there. He says to them, and I wanna read this first because this is gonna be the, the major thrust of what I have to say. He says in Ephesians 4, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And so we do have to do this. We have to speak the truth about what we believe about politics. And we also have to do that in a way that has love attached to it. You know, there are other scriptures that come to mind about having our speech seasoned with grace. And, and this applies to everything, including politics. So what I see when I've reviewed the past few years and, and what's going on in our culture and in politics is when the church discusses political matters, there tends to be a couple of groups that I see emerge and I wanna to speak to those. This isn't gonna encompass everybody, but it will encompass some of you. So there are those who are afraid to engage in the conversation. That's the truth aspect of it. You might feel inequipped or under experienced in talking about political matters. And I want to encourage you and coax you out of that cave because the more I read scripture and think about politics, the more it permeates so much scripture. Like Aslan very clearly pointed out, it is definitely a Christian issue that we should all involve ourselves in. So if you are one of those who may, may feel like you don't have a good handle on the issue, and so what I know, because I have lived this myself, is I often found when I was a younger man that I didn't want to bring up my thoughts about politics because I was afraid of being exposed for being ignorant on the matter. That, in other words, is my pride was keeping me silent because I don't want to be seen without the answer. 
That's not an excuse for not engaging in the topic. It's not a good one. It's an excuse, but it's not a good one. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage you to embrace humility and be found without good answers in political matters. And one of the ways that you can do this safely and gently is find people that you deem kind, (laughs) that actually enjoy having this kind of a conversation and say, this is what I think with all of my cumulative knowledge and wisdom, this is where I am on it. What would you say to that? Or do you have thoughts? And I would really encourage everybody to do that more from a biblical perspective and what scripture has to say on these issues, more so than what Tucker Carlson or Don Lemon has to say on the matter. Because if you're going to the, the major media outlets and social media for your in education on politics, I, to quote the great philosopher, Mr. T, I pity the fool. Time for a drink. So, I want to coax you out of that cave and into good discussion. Then there are those on the other side, and the other category that I see kind of come up, which is those who struggle to, not, not their struggle isn't that they haven't really well thought out their positions, but they are bombastic and loud and clanging symbols when it comes to discussion, and they are monologuers instead of conversation type of people. And so those people tend to, and and this is what I want to say to you, if, if you find that the majority of what your passions are is politics, it might be time to dethrone politics in your heart and put it a little bit further out than what your major passions are because it is not the only way that society is affected by Christians. It's one of the many ways. It's not the major way. It is a important way, but it's not the everything And so I find myself a little rubbed wrong when the people that I know who love Jesus want to talk more about politics than Jesus. That's that's an imbalance in my opinion. And so if that's you, I want to coax you into better conversations as well and one that has a more loving um, approach to it. So don't don't let the politics dominate your conversation. Be humble enough as well to have the possibility of you being wrong on a political matter be exposed. I will say that again. You are so convinced of the truth that you hold, be open for it to be prodded and poked. And this is, this is something that I think could be the case, that I believe that there are some people that are more afraid of their children becoming Democrats or Republicans, whichever one you are, versus them holding to another faith, which to me shows that the idolatry of politics has risen in your heart. That can be very true. When you're gonna engage in conversation, because what I'm basically doing is I'm trying to call the people that don't wanna talk about it and the people that do wanna talk about it all the time into a conversation where they can hear each other. And so what I would say to the one that likes to monologue is take the time to listen to their, their story, their experiences and their reasons for holding those positions. Because you may find something that might surprise you that you you didn't assume about them. Because there's a lot of assumptions that come into political discussions as well. If we don't find out just, if we just stop at they think this about this particular topic and not the why behind it, then there won't be any ground gained in a good way. So there's that. One of my favorite pastimes is finding a way to talk to anybody about what they believe 
especially when it comes to religious topics. I love it. I'm not afraid of those topics. I try to look for my entry point in, even when they're not interested. That's who I am. And I think politics is another way that we could do this, is we look for ways to weasel our way into a conversation, but that's not the only thing that we talk about, right? So I, I like this, but I also want to make sure that the person that is holding a position has a biblical basis for it. First and foremost, more than any of your experience and any of what else influences your political leanings. The next thing that I would say, and this is probably more important than anything that I've said so far, is at the very least, you could start with prayer, right? Before you go into a conversation with somebody about a political matter, maybe pause long enough to go, Lord, help me to see what's going on here. Holy Spirit, come in and help me to see how I can communicate and find the truth of the matter here. One of the things that I see in 1 Timothy And this is where this might step on toes. You were waiting for the moment. Here it is. So 1 Timothy chapter two, one through two says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Full stop, let's let's close it there. That sounds like a great idea. And the church should intercede and give thanksgiving for all people. The problem is that Paul gets political immediately and pisses everyone off because he says to pray for the king and he says to pray for all who are in high positions. So this is just another further um, point to clarify that we should be involved in politics even to the point where we're on our knees about it before God. And he says to pray and give thanksgiving for the king and those who are in high positions. So here's the rub. For four years, we had President Donald Trump as the President of the United States. And there were a lot of people that weren't happy about it. Are you shocked? A lot of people didn't like it. They complained a lot. They said a lot of negative things about him and his policies and the things that he was trying to accomplish. I wonder if those same people were on their knees interceding for him. Because it seems to me Paul says to have done that. And give thanksgivings. If we can't find it in our hearts to do that for the president, then that's a problem. Because I think Paul, take your issues up with Paul, not me, I didn't write it. Let's be clear, I'm not responsible here. (laughs) I'm responsible enough to get up here and talk to you. But you see what I'm saying. Now, on the other hand, we have President Joe Biden in office right now. And it might be that some of you don't like him and his policies and you complain and, and you backbite against some of the things that you think he might be doing that could be destructive for the country. But do you at the same time intercede on his behalf? Because I'm also brought, what is also brought to my mind is there's a verse in Proverbs where it says, the heart of the king is in the hand of God and he directs it where it goes. Do you wanna influence politics? Intercede for the president that you so hate. And you're not allowed to hate him either. There's that. Love your enemies. Love your political enemies, right? It goes all the way across. Whether you despised President Trump or President Biden, if you do not or did not intercede on his behalf, you ought to repent. That's a hard thing, but it's true in my opinion. 
you disagree with me, take me to lunch and buy me lunch. To close, to close, we think about Christians in America, as we think about being Christians in America, and we have a two-party system, we have the Republicans and the Democrats, and then you have a bunch of people trying to do something else, right? But you have basically the Republicans and the Democrats, and those are your major choices. Two teams that push against each other, opposite goals for the most part, and we don't think that they're ever gonna really align, let's be honest. They're not gonna really like go, oh, they're on the same page now. That is not gonna happen this side of eternity, okay? But I wanna give credit to a pastor from Texas, um, yes, a red state, and his, his name is Dr. Tony Evans, and he uses this example for how Christians should view our political system. And he says, picture, and this will be easy for some of you because at about one o'clock, games are starting. He goes, picture a football game, and you've got two teams on the field, and they're both pushing, the, they're trying to do opposite things, and they're getting upset at each other and frustrated, and they push each other and shove, and they're, they're trying to accomplish opposite goals. And he said, but there's not just two teams on the field. There's a third team called the team of the officials. And those officials have been given a book of rules that they're to follow. And they are to use that book in order to judge what's happening on the field. They're also called to be impartial. Their identity comes to them from the NFL, not the identity of the teams, right? And so they're on the field, but not of the field. They are in the midst of the conflict, but not among the conflict. They don't have loyalty to one team or the other. They're not allowed to, otherwise they're called corrupt. They are accountable to someone else, a higher power. They can't be swayed by the cheering or booing. They follow the book. Whatever team is obeying the rules, the call goes in their favor. Whatever team has gone against the rules, they get called out. That, in my opinion, is what Christians ought to look at politics like. I don't get my identity by lining up with any one of these groups. This is not an excuse for being in the middle. Please hear me. I'm talking about identity there, but we are not given an excuse to be in the middle and to not participate. That's not what I'm advocating for. The middle is not more holy. And if you don't interact at all and you're just passive, that's not engaging and taking action. And that's a problem. It's not about avoiding conflict, it's about pursuing righteous actions. The government is never gonna be what the church ought to be to the culture. And you should never distort that because God didn't give instructions to the government, he gave it to the church. And we're to influence the government, right? The issues to me are clear in scripture, what we're supposed to be about and care about, the major issues. So. My wife and I put together this list because we're all powerful and all knowing and know it's, no, I'm kidding. We looked at what was so repetitive. And if you're gonna think about it in terms of when you've gone to college, you have a major and a minor, some of us, right? And so you major in the majors and you minor in the minors. And some of you might have issues that you care about deeply in a political sense and are not on this list or might not be obviously on this list. But these are what I would consider the major ways that we are to put, supposed to engage and be about influencing the culture. And so you have at the very top there valuing life. Interesting, the early church actually influenced the political structures that they were under to the point where it was made, abortion was made illegal in their time. They didn't have the right to vote, interesting. 
racial equality, defense of the oppressed, care for the poor, taxes, family structure, care for orphans and widows, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, repeated often. These are the things that we're supposed to care about and influence the culture with as Christians. And you can get involved on a direct level and on a local level, and that's good too. Don't just relegate your involvement in trying to influence the culture and politics to every couple of years when major agendas get put up on there, do that. But you can also affect the culture and politics on a local level, which I think is good because we are also commanded to seek the good of the city. God calls us to seek the good of the city. Our city's Orlando. Let's seek to love it and influence the politics from a biblical perspective and everything else is secondary at best. So let's pray. You can stand with me, we'll pray. Lord, I thank you that there's no topic under the sun that we can't talk about. My prayer is that our congregation would become masters at good conversation and have grace and love for each other even when we disagree. But Lord, I also ask that we would become so biblically grounded on the reasoning for why we hold positions that there would be, there'd be no doubt in my mind what your mind is on the matter. Help me to see and cut through all the garbage and all of the the clutter and the, and the distracting talk that comes into this and help me to see clearly what your heart is and then help me to love my neighbor and pray for the emperor or pray for the president or pray for those who are in, pa- in positions of power because you hold their heart in your hand. And Lord, if that's true, that's gonna change the way that I pray. Lord, make us more like you and give us patience with this topic. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.